0: Hello and welcome to The Development Podcast, coming to you from our headquarters in Washington, D.C. and beyond. I'm Paul Blake, alongside Raka Banerjee.
1: Today, a reflection on the extraordinary year that was 2022, the post-pandemic recovery, the wartime economy, and more, with World Bank Chief Economist Indermit Gill.
2: I think that the last two years will become a case study of how the world forgot economics 101. And I think it was because of fear, it was because of disease, it was because of war, but it was also because of impatience. And I'm hoping that 2023 will not be part of this case study. Plus an update from Cairo,
0: how global events have driven a tremendous food price shock.
3: The businesses uh, that survive are those that are able to change and adapt. We've already made plans to create food that is completely locally sourced. All that and more
1: here on the development podcast from the World Bank Group. Well, it was just one year ago that we were all asking how the newly emerged Omicron variant might prolong the COVID-19
2: pandemic.
3: This variant is a cause for concern, not a cause for panic. We
2: don't yet know whether Omicron is associated with more transmission, more severe disease, more risk of reinfections.
0: The fast-moving variant threatened to drag out one of the biggest global economic disruptions since World War II. It was the biggest story in January.
1: And then February came.
3: Today, what was unthinkable for many, particularly in Ukraine itself, has happened. An invasion by Russian forces.
2: One more Russian missile strike brings terror to the streets of Kyiv.
0: Russia's invasion of Ukraine shocked the world and sent reverberations through every level of the global economy.
1: These two stories, I think, framed the uncertainty around 2022.
0: Indeed, the long tail of the pandemic and the fresh shock of a major ground war in Europe fundamentally changed the global economic narrative.
1: To understand just how COVID and conflict changed economic history in 2022, let's bring in World Bank chief economist Indermit Gill. Indermit, thinking back to January 2022, it was a completely different world, right? What were we expecting 2022 to look like in January?
2: okay well you know back in january we actually put out our global economic prospects report and i was looking at that and we were expecting the world economy to grow at around four percent right and we expected the us and the eu to grow by about that much too and we thought china would grow at five percent indonesia by a bit more and india would grow by nearly nine percent so today If you look at things today, we expect the global economy to grow by less than 3%. So we've sliced off about a quarter of the expected growth. And next year will be even worse. We've actually sliced off nearly a third of the growth for 2023. Uh, So the world faces record debt levels. It faces declining investment rates. You know, high inflation, widespread hunger, poverty reduction has has come to a grinding halt. And as a result of all of these things, there is growing, there is actually growing political instability. Things have become a lot worse in the, the these 11 months.
0: Russia's invasion of Ukraine, obviously an incredible, incredible human tragedy. Tens of thousands of lives needlessly lost. We can all comprehend the, the human tragedy, I think. But help us understand, what has the, the economic impact of that conflict been?
2: So, you know, the best way to think about this, Paul, is to is to think about what share of the world economy are the U.S., the European Union, and China, right? And things that happen in these three parts of the world will affect the world economy. Uh, if you add up the share of global economic output, it adds up to more than 60%. So uh, then if you look to see what exactly happened in these places. So the first one, as you mentioned... You had, the, you had the invasion of Ukraine, and that plunged Europe into an energy crisis. Second one is China decided to kill COVID-19, which is a mutating virus, which is a very difficult thing to do. And then the third one was that the US decided to kill inflation. This was after feeding it for years through easy money, and big government spending. So as a result of it, suddenly you had these three big shocks, basically. All of them essentially happening in 2022. So it's not just the crisis, in Ukraine, though that's a big part of it, but you also had these other two things happening at the same time.
1: We, we'd had a podcast earlier this year about stagflation. Um, you know, there's obviously fears of a global recession. You know, are we looking at a recession next year that's, you know, getting worse? I mean, how can this be turned around?
2: So I think, I, I thought that you would say, well, if you were so wrong 11 months ago, then why are you forecasting? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, so- we wouldn't <laughs> phrase it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but but i think that the answer is related to that you know we were wrong about things because we didn't anticipate a few of these really bad things that happened and and by the same token i think if we if we sort of uh, if we are not if we end up getting an end to some of these things i think that already we are getting some good news out of china in the sense that they've stopped this trying to sort of kill covid off you know down to zero and then if you look at the United States, again, we're starting to uh, starting to get good news here. So th- the best way to think about this is that the world has never gone into a recession, or at least in living memory, unless the U.S. also goes into a recession. And I don't think the U.S. is gonna go into a recession. You know, you've got about, I would say about 45% of the world's economy in some kind of trouble or the other, right? And the big problem that we faced over the last six months or so was high inflation. High inflation usually means that you have uh, too much money chasing too few goods and services. So too much demand and too little supply. So I think ideally what we really want to do is we want a balance of policies that try to sort of moderate demand because we overstimulated it in the past two years. But then by the same token, because we dampened supply so much, we want to sort of do things that actually increase supply as well. So you meet in the middle. So you meet in middle.
1: and do you, do you feel like that's that's happening right now um are these these uh these policy steps being taken do you think that's likely
2: so honestly I would say um, that we are doing too much of cutting demand and not enough of stimulating supply raising interest rates cutting government spending increasing tax rates these are all supply killers right and then if you sort of look at demand side things I mean what you really want to do with demand you want freer trade so you don't want to impose trade restrictions because they tend to cut supply, right? That's one thing. The other thing is that if you cramp down on people's economic freedoms, or what they can do with their time and their money and their investments and so on, you're going to get less supply, right? The other thing is that many of of the countries because they had these mandated lockdowns, what they also did was they actually paid people to stay at home. And I think some, I think the tail end of that hasn't yet disappeared in the sense that you really want to not pay people to stay at home. You want people to go out and work, right? I guess if you're asking me to give grades on the demand side, I would say it's like an A minus. But on the supply side, I, I think that I would give it the world a C right now. So I think that we made policy mistakes. I I think that world
0: leaders, the kind of world
2: world leaders generally speaking, and I mean, essentially, I I don't think it's the private sector that's making the mistakes.
1: And you're you're talking about, I mean, you you highlighted (laughs) the invasion of Ukraine, um, policies contributing to high inflation in the U.S. and uh, China's decision decisions around COVID, sort of three three big ones that are made by governments.
2: Right. These are the three big ones. But by the way, I could add to that list. I could, you know, I could, I, could, <laughs> I could go down the list of the other countries, not the big three, but the other countries. They've done things like actually try to put trade restrictions on the exports of, of you know, food grains and things like that. I mean, that's those are, are things that lead to all kinds of problems, especially, especially for poor people in poor countries. Right because they raise the price of food grains and they actually cut the supply of food grains, right? In a general sense, I would actually say that I think that the last two years will become a case study of how the world forgot economics 101, right? And I think it was because of fear, it was because of disease, it was because of war, but it was also because of impatience, okay? And I'm hoping that 2023 will not be part of this case study. So it would just be 2020, 2021, and maybe 2022 if you keep interest rates low, if you tell people to stay home, and if you pump in trillions of dollars and euros and yuan in stimulus spending, you will engineer a situation in which demand will outstrip supply. So you'll get inflation, right?
0: I visited Colombia and Poland over the past year. And one of the things that was very striking to me was how average people were talking about central bank interest rates. And my understanding is, is that countries like Poland, Colombia, they're having to dramatically react to the Fed. Can you explain what exactly the Fed's aggressive monetary tightening, raising interest rates means for middle-income countries, even high-income countries that have to compete?
2: So so the first thing, Paul, you cannot blame the Fed for doing what is its job. Its job is that, that when you have high inflation rates or too persistent inflation rates and so on. That's what they will do. Push the lever up on rates. Push push the lever up on rates. And that's their job and so on. And I think it was expected by most countries that that this would happen sooner or later. The issue then is exactly what does this do to to people in the developing world? What does it do to countries? Uh, What does it do to the government? And what does it do to the people? Right. So for the governments, there's a very straightforward effect of this. The straightforward effect of this is that they end up having to pay more for their debts. So most countries have to roll over their debts you know, each year, every month, and so on. And then as these interest rates rise, they tend to make rolling over those debts more expensive. So what happens is that public investment and private investment both fall at the same time. Okay, And so as a result of it, these countries end up having a slower growth rate because everything is driven by investment mostly, right? For countries that actually borrowed for the right reason, I think for them, this is not as serious a problem. But for countries that borrowed in order to finance consumption, this is a problem.
0: So subsidies, unnecessary subsidies.
2: Yeah, because public investment, because when you invest in things that lead to an increase in the productive capacity of the economy, it increases the capacity of the economy to pay back. Right, you know, I think times like this remind you of some basic principles. Right, I think one of the basic principles is that governments should not borrow to consume things. They should they should be borrowing to make well considered investments in roads, in education, in health, and things like that. The second thing I think governments have to realize is that you know I think that what has happened across the world. Huh, this is not, I wouldn't blame the U.S. or anybody else in particular, but across the world. Governments took a lot of the freedoms from people because because of good reasons and bad. But, uh, you know, but, but as a result of it, there has been there has been a pullback of economic freedom. That usually means that people aren't necessarily doing the sort of things that are good for them. Right. So then you sort of say, OK, have uh, have governments been a, a really good protector of the private interests or the public interest? And I would say no, not during the last three years. Build on this a little bit, if you don't mind. I mean, like for example, closing a restaurant. or or having blanket lockdowns, or not allowing people to travel for business, because uh, they have not been vaccinated, etc. Now, these are, I'm not saying that they haven't been, they haven't been driven by good reason. But the net effect of it is that they're fairly blanket restrictions. So what you're doing is that you're actually, in a sense, another way to put it is, we uh, thought that that during the last uh, 30 years before 2020, these were the best years for economic development across the world. The most progress in recorded history. The right? best time
0: to be born alive, a human being, now, in human history, absolutely. I think.
2: Absolutely. I mean, we took it for granted that, that you know things were going to be like that. If you look at that, you say, what was it that actually led to that? The first one was a realization that the commanding heights of the economy should be given to the private sector. It should not be the government that should control the commanding heights. And if you sort of look at the last few years, there's been a reversion of that. You know, you've sort of seen the government actually taking over a, a lot of things, right? That's one. The second thing was free trade. You found that poorer countries actually, as soon as they started to free up their private sector and so on, you immediately got a private sector response. The problem is that countries become, they become suppliers much more quickly than they become big demanders, right? So as a result, you needed to have you needed to be able to supply the, 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 these things to people who had the purchasing power. For that, you needed trade because these people were somewhere else. Right. Okay? The third thing, which was a very important thing, is that is that we had sort of we had accepted that look macro stability, low inflation rates, not very big fiscal deficits, and so on. These are good things for everybody. Year. I mean, mid 2010s there was talk about inflation being too low. Today. I mean, that was that was in advanced economies, Paul. Right. In the developing countries, inflation was still four, five, you know, four, five percent, but they were moderate levels. Last year, there were more countries that had double digit inflation than single digit inflation. Wow. So as a result of it, now with that, you you create a very uncertain atmosphere for private investors because they have to figure out whether or not it makes sense to do all this stuff. You make it really bad for poor people because the richer people tend to find good hedges again against inflation. So in a sense, I think what we are trying to sort of do is go back to that macro stability. I have a feeling that the world will get back to that fairly quickly. The second thing is go back to actually, you know, greater economic freedom to people. That should be the natural. I mean, trust the people. You know, I think that'll happen too over time, right? I think the third part to actually have an environment, a worldwide economy in which, you know, free trade is the rule rather than the exception. That is the thing that should worry us all. Because right now, because of the politics of things and so on, there's a worry that the world would split into camps. If we don't end up having all three of these conditions and not just two, it it's going to be bad for it's going to be bad for the poorest countries, especially the countries that we care the most about right now. I think these are countries in sub Saharan Africa.
1: Do you think that um, I guess there's there's gonna be a return to the, the lessons of economics 101?
2: one? I'm going to do my best. I'm going to scream this from the rooftops.
1: Indermit, yep. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. This was just an awesome conversation. I really appreciate your time and your, your perspectives.
2: It was a pleasure. Thank you. all. Thank you so much for this time.
0: Indermit Gill is the World Bank's chief economist. He joined us in our studio here in Washington. Well behind all the big trends in economics are the stories of people's lives.
1: Over the past year, we've talked to several people from around the world to get their insights into some of these big, complex topics.
0: For instance, prominent Mexican economist Enrique Cardenas told us in July how the so-called lost decade of the 1980s compares to today.
1: In terms of recession, just people had, you know, lower incomes. They were not very happy. You went into the underground in the subway in Mexico City, you would see pale faces and not very happy faces, not happy faces. From rural India, we heard from Reema Nanavati about how renewable energy has the power to transform lives for the better, but that any transition away from traditional energy sources would need to be just. What alternatives could be there for the workers who are working currently, maybe in the coal mines? You know, what are the alternatives which are also designed and worked out while the country is transitioning? And in our November edition, we shared the story of Sonia Sifuentes, who spoke of the difficulty of feeding her family in the post-pandemic economy.
2: Well, I never imagined
1: we were going to be left without a job. During the pandemic, I was in need of food and I had to ask my mother to help feed my children because I had no money to buy food. Indeed, that was one of the most significant and maybe scariest trends of 2022, the shock in agricultural prices.
0: And specifically, what that shock meant for food security.
1: In June, our colleague Sarah Treanor caught up with Doreen Akkad, a pizza baker in Cairo, Egypt.
0: Well, Sarah joins us now. Sarah, remind us what Doreen had to say back then.
1: Hi, both. Yes, so Doreen gave us a peek into her kitchen where she she's a passionate bread maker and where she decided to turn her passion into a business, she told me how she's really struggling to source ingredients. The prices keep going up. She doesn't know where she's going to get some of her staple ingredients like flour from. And she was worried at the time that she was going to have to pass on price increases to her customers who were also struggling with increases in
3: food prices across the Board. This is something that's been a daily topic of conversation for the last five years. <laughs> I think the daily conversation is how much worse, when is the price hike going to stop? Well, since June, wheat prices have continued to be volatile.
1: I wanted to check in with Doreen and see how things are going for her in her restaurant and, and whether she's still finding it a challenge to source the products she
3: needs. We've had to take some uh, measures to, you know, make sure we stay alive. We don't know. We, don't, we can't even reprice our menu enough times. <laughs> Um, My biggest issue has been having to change the brand of flour that we use like every couple of weeks maybe. But at the same time, since we've last spoken, I I remember last time we spoke about trying to produce more of our ingredients in Egypt. We've had a great development. We've had an Italian producer set up shop here uh, to make mozzarella. The businesses uh, that survive are those that are able to change and adapt. We've already made plans to create food that's that is completely locally sourced. Doreen Akkad, owner of
1: What the Crust restaurant in Cairo, Egypt, speaking to Sarah Triner as we wrap up our 2022 special.
0: That's it for the Development Podcast in 2022. We hope you've enjoyed joining us for this episode and throughout the past year.
1: As always, you can email us. We love to hear from you at thedevelopmentpodcast at worldbank.org. Until
0: 2023. Goodbye.
1: Bye. See you next year. Goodbye.